Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome to Transform Your Teaching here on the campus of Cedarville University. My name is Jared Piles and with me is Dr. Robert McDowell. Hello, Rob. Hello. Uh, We have consistently been doing this podcast, and I think as a result, we've unlocked your gravelly voice. Yes. So you are, as we record this, you are recovering from COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. And so your voice sounds like you've, well, it sounds like COVID punched your vocal cords. It's great. I think it's great. (laughs) I think it's wonderful. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it is going to be fun. We are revisiting our tech integration series, one of our faculty members here on our campus. Joining us is my friend, Associate Professor of Communication, Jeffrey Simon. Hello, Jeffrey Simon. Hello, Jared. Also known as Jeff. Yes, no, it's exciting, exciting to be here today. And thank you for inviting me. We're glad you're here. Yeah. Looking forward to the conversation. Jeff and I go go way back, like 2001, way back. Oh, yeah. We're so close that he can even somewhat make fun of me with my students and he can get away with it. Yeah. It's great. It's great. So anyway, thanks for coming on with us today. Why don't you give us a little bit of a background? Um, what brought you to Cedarville and what you teach and all that stuff? Yeah, so I teach in the Department of Communication, uh, but in the Broadcasting, Digital Media, and Journalism program in communication. I teach a variety of different classes. My background and my things I do on the side as a hobby would be more uh, 3D, CG content, or visual effects, motion design Uh, But I also teach classes in uh, the future of media, looking at a lot of different factors that drive how consumers and businesses will be producing, uh, distributing, and accessing uh, media uh, into the future. I teach some kind of business media classes as well. So how I got here, uh, I was at Cedarville for undergrad. After I graduated, I went and I worked at Answers in Genesis in their media department, their AV department, uh, for a few years. And um, I had um, amazing professors while I was here at Cedarville. And I think near the end of my time here, I really thought that maybe someday I, I think I would be interested in doing something like this. And I was like, you know what? In case I want to do this, I think I should follow up with some of these professors. So I took them all out to uh, breakfast or lunch. And just ask them, like, you know, if I ever want to do this, what do I, what do I have to do? They're like, go to grad school. I'm like, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so uh, me being a creative person, going to grad school did not sound super fun. But I started that process, and I was in my first semester of grad school, still working. And I got a call and saying that they had a spot open up, and I was being considered, uh, would I be interested in coming back and potentially teaching at Cedarville? And I said... yes. This was way faster than the timeline that I thought of. But uh, we went through all the hoops and it worked out. And lo and behold, I came back here and I just finished, I think, my 13th year here. It's been a really great, great time here. And I've really enjoyed um, growing with my colleagues, uh, seeing so many cohorts of students go through and where they're at now, especially now it's been over a decade of seeing some of them and what they're doing in the real world now and how they're having an impact in their industry and for Christ. So you've had 13 years. Finish the unlucky one. <laughs> yep. It's all uphill from now. That's yeah. right. Whatever. 
So that kind of leads me to a question. You and I have kind of had some conversations on the side. Mm-hmm. And um, it goes along with your philosophy of education. Um, I'm not going to get you to necessarily define it, although if you want to, feel free to do so. But if anything, an analogy of what you face, I mean, you could take it all the way back 13 years ago, but today, you know, what is your analogy of how students are, are learning? One of the biggest differences that I and my colleagues talk about, I even from my time as a student to when I started as a faculty member to now, it's just the different ways that students kind of retain information. There are different skills of like creativity versus problem solving and critical thinking and how that can fluctuate over time. Uh, I think the way that they learn, I've adjusted myself, but I really feel I've tried to use a lot of different modalities and, and pedagogy to teach while I'm here. So I'll do the typical, well, I say the typical lecture thing. But uh, for me and what I teach, I really feel that hands-on experience is really important. I really focus a lot on critical thinking and problem solving, whether it's a creative production class or trying to solve a business problem or look at like a report on the future of media. Uh, A lot of what I do, and I think a lot of what we do in general across multiple majors is that things change all the time. So the students I had 10 years ago, they are not doing the same thing that I taught them to do in class necessarily with the same software. It's the principles and how to use those as the tools change. Uh, But also, even within a decade or more, sometimes the principles kind of shift a little bit too because your audience moves so far that you need to know what to watch for um, as that's shifting around you. So I really approach my classes as much as possible to have – basically an equipping of tool sets where I then provide students, my assignments are really open. And so I let them approach uh, design problems, creating a web page or solving business problems. They're like, you know, you come up with this thing you want to do, and it's going to be different from the other 20 people in the class. And I'm going to help you figure it out. And we're going to do our best. We're going to have to jerry-rig some of this. Yeah, we're going to use some principles we talked about as well. But uh, you just kind of got to get in there and make it happen because a lot of what our graduates are doing, that's their life. They have to show up at work. And if they're having any fun, they don't know the answer to how to do everything they're going to be asked to do every day. Or that can get really boring. Uh, the, the dial keeps shifting, so to say, as to what our media graduates are going to be asked to do. And so I really like to have my courses really teach people to be able to creatively solve problems more so than to recite the history of visual effects or production techniques from like the 1920s and things like that. Not that those are bad. So let's think practically about that aspect of it. You're talking about you've got a class of 24 designing a website. The end product is basically unknown to Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. What do you assess? I assess that they are able to meet the things that we talk about at a basic level, for for a specific example, the web coding class, that they have a basic understanding of the HTML and CSS to accomplish the vision that they had in their like prototype design to get as close as possible to that within a limited timeline of learning it, dealing with tech issues. And a lot of what I do is if it's close enough that I could fix it in like 10 minutes, 
pretty happy with that. I'll usually meet with them and, and show them the issues that they had. But I always am very open that, you know, I'm going to fix it this way, but here's two other ways that you could have done it. Um, sometimes students will try try something that's too big for them and I'll try and back them down, you know, kind of talk them back. So like, I don't want to just, you know, toss your idea away. But I think in the timeline that we have, I'd rather you focus this, which will prepare you for the second time you do something to be able to push a little bit further. And so when I grade something like that, I have a basic rubric that, you know, your HTML or your CSS is structured well. I always tell my students that you're going to run out of time or money before the project is done. And you just need to get it to a state that's acceptable, the good enough, and then add on the pizzazz as you have extra time and resources available. Um, that saved me when I was working in the industry from getting let go. Uh, it's not just about being good. It's about being efficient and being able to be fluid and flexible. And so those are the things that I really focus on. Sounds like you're assessing formative versus summative, like you're assessing the process along the way. Absolutely. And the end product could be a dud, but you're looking at how they learned along the way. Absolutely. I have a class called uh, Designing Solutions for New Audiences, and we get clients the same year that they have to learn about the client's industry, solve some problems for them, and present them with a kind of strategy document. And halfway through, we have multiple client touch points. I've had many years where a client will look at a student and be like, I don't want to go that route. And the first time that happened, the student was like, do I get, a, do I get an F? I was like, no, I'm, you're going to focus, you're going to help so-and-so make their part even stronger. You did the work that you were supposed to up along the path. The client didn't want it, so we're going to drop it, not waste anyone's time from now on, and you're going to redirect and help make this more important section stronger. And I think through years of doing that and having the students see that happen in class, it prepares them for, I think, their real-world life they're going to be focused on and asked to you know, recreate, hopefully, um, very soon upon graduation. Sounds like you have a real focus on hands-on. Mm-hmm. It's much more geared towards that individual student. And maybe you're assessing based on where they're at to where they need to be. It sounds like you have a bar. Mm -hmm. Like here's a minimum level. And then do you have bars above that? So where you would say, you know, this is the minimum what you should do. And then if you're really good, here's where you're going to end up. And then if you're, you know, phenomenal, here's some examples of a phenomenal work. Yeah. The, one of the hard things, because I have so much of what I would say is somewhat subjective grading with a formative assessment is the importance of examples. And that's one of the things that as a faculty, I've been able to grow um, during my time here. And so I have a lot of really good examples of this will get you by and you will pass the assignment, pass the class. But I tell them, like, that's not what I want from you. I want something more like this, which is something you should be happy to you know, share with uh, on your portfolio or your demo reel until you start getting you know, real paid for work. Uh, and then we have the the top tier stuff where I'm like, you could submit this for an award or um, this is something that, you know, is going to get you hired one day. You've got to highlight this. Make sure you do a breakdown of it. Maybe you should do a how-to video or have something online where you talk through your process because this is so good. People will be interested to know how you have done it. Uh, for my motion design class, every year, I have more examples. I share a OneDrive folder 
and I rename all the files to just say the name of the assignment, so to take off all last names and everything like that. But I, they can look through, and we'll talk through some of them in class and say, here's you know, someone who never touched the program. They made this, and it was acceptable. Here's someone who's had a couple classes, and it's, it's better. Here's someone who I have no idea how they made this in my timeline. Hmm. They have arrived. And you know, I'm like, I, I don't expect everyone to make this, but I hope I see a couple of them. You know? And so that's something. I think it's an encouragement because a lot of times when students come into uh, my classroom, they don't know what they're supposed to know. They don't know what any faculty member is really expecting of them until they can see a rubric or some examples. And I think that making those things available has become more and more powerful uh, for this, empowering to the student so that they kind of know how I work uh, and really what that can be expected to, from them uh, as they're moving towards industry. And it can get harder the, the higher level class that you're in. So we did want to have you on and talk about tech integration yeah. a bit. Um, Outside of, you know, you talk about for your own curriculum and your content, your students are using visual media, mm -hmm. um, Adobe After Effects. But we don't want to talk about that because that's tech integration. That's part of the, the, the part skill of the class, set, right? Yeah. Just like we didn't mm -hmm. talk with Mr. L, Jim Leitenheimer about the audio stuff that they do. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about tech integration, what tools are you using in the classroom, in your day-to-day, -day, or over the span of a semester to help your students with their, support their content? So I am a professor that pre-COVID was COVID-ready because I record everything. So you were hipster I was, for COVID. I was ready before the virus spread, yes. <laughs> wow. I had my educational bunker prepared, so... <laughs> Uh, Whoa. Yeah, man. Buckets. Buckets of tech integration <laughs> right. ready to be used. That's right. Uh, so I screen record a ton of my content using OBS. Um, I did use Zoom quite a bit during the COVID era to do screen recording and screen sharing. But before I talk about subject matter, I usually pre-record some quick tips for my production classes, and then I will make them available after a lecture. Um, during COVID or even now and pre-COVID, when I'm teaching a software package of any kind in class and I'm expecting them to know how to use it, I will record those sessions as well so that they can go back also and just watch exactly what I did in class if that matters. Uh, and then some things, uh, because as students do, they have questions and every once in a while we have to uh, you know, float around or take a, take a break. Uh, some of the really big, difficult things I would go, I'll go through and make a series of recordings that are uninterrupted so that they can watch through a whole process from start to finish very much like you can find on YouTube and Mimeo, but there are, they are specifically garnered toward, uh, the types of content that I'm teaching in my courses. Uh, I use canvas to give audio notes. Um, I like to use the markups of, on their documents. Uh, I've used my tablet my phone, my laptop. The way I approach technology is if it makes it easier to help the students see where they've dropped the ball or where they could push themselves further or become more efficient, if there's a piece of technology that can help me do that, I'm willing to try it out and give it a test push. For me, personally, because of what I teach, my most valuable tool would be a screen recording because I can get an email of a student having a problem if I can get to a laptop, because I'm still, I can't do a lot of stuff what I do on the phone. So if I get to a laptop, 
I can have them a five-minute recorded response to say, here's how you could do this in one or two ways. Pick your poison. I didn't finish it for you, but this will get you started and go with it. And I've, I've had some good feedback from that. Um, there are you know students who will never watch that, which is fine. But I do know that from feedback that there's a lot of students that have really appreciated the fact that they have that. Before Canvas and OneDrive and Google Drive, I used to, at the end of the year, provide a burned DVD of all of my recorded material Whoa. to everyone in the class. You've been teaching for a long time. Yes. If you're putting to everyone in the DVDs. class. I did not have any customization Versus, menus. Or did you also like make them a mixtape on CD form from iTunes? And No, I saved those for my wife. Okay. <laughs> Versus an unburned DVD. So we, we always do the what, why, and how. You answered what and why. So how, you kind of said with screen recording, are there other hows of how you use technology in the classroom? Yes. Uh, one thing I tried brand new this year uh, was using a course simulation pack uh, through a company called Stukent. They had been hounding my email Spell box. that. S-T-U-K-E-N-T. It's not stew like beef stew. It's S-T-U. S-T-U, like okay. student, but with a K. Oh, okay. So Because that Thank makes sense. That. It does yeah. make sense, yeah. They had a kind of online and ebook, textbook, interactive thing that you could go through. Uh, it's called SEO uh, Tips and Strategy is their textbook. And so that was one aspect that I could purchase as a part of a pack. And then they had something called a Simturnship. That's a newer branded name. Uh, I forgot. I think it was called Mimic before that, but it's a Simturnship. So the Simturnship is kind of a guided tour of learning. Uh, it's very interesting where uh, you read through this textbook and it's it's pretty much a normal textbook. It's got some interactive links and things. It's a glorified PDF. They do keep it up to date on SEO practices, which shift all the time. So we're reading through that. And at the same time, there's an actual project that you can go through for a fictitious company where every module, they have a little video from the CEO that tells you your goal. There's an email kind of recapping your, your video conference message. You have some uh, Slack or Microsoft Teams simulated conversations. Uh, then they have you go through and optimize product landing pages for SEO. Uh, they have you make email pitches do uh, keyword uh, optimization and uh, go through like how much it costs to purchase a keyword. You got budgets and things like that. But everything you do, it keeps track of it and gives you a score at the end. It lets you, you know, push through or run the simulation. You get a little bit of feedback. You get a grade score and it kind of sees how your campaign is doing through eight or nine different rounds of search engine optimization. Very much like a handheld internship might be with a, mm. with a supervisor. But I looked through my feedback uh, that we got from the course evaluation. And I would say out of the 20 plus students that were in this class, no one said they didn't want me to try it again. They all said I should keep it. A third really liked the textbook. A third really liked the internship. And the others were just okay with it in general. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep working with this. But um, it was a new thing. It was a little bumpy. So once we started, I worked through it with them in class. I had everybody log in and I said, follow me for round one. And you're going to get an A on this one because we're going to do it together. And in fact, I'm going to do it wrong, get a bad grade and reset myself because I can do that. And so we did it in class together for that first round. The second round, I had them do it 
But before they submitted, we had a round table where we would talk through the way they approached the problems, and then I would have them submit it. And it actually went really, really well. By the end, almost everyone was in the A range, and I had a lot of really good feedback that they learned a lot because I let them kind of do that. I'm very open in the fact that I haven't mastered this yet, and I don't have all the answers, but uh, I'm willing to work through it with you. I love how you've you're, you're, the way you structured it, the way you're scaffolding at the beginning, where you're walking them through the first module. You're giving them a chance to redo something, and I love the reflection piece with that as well, of saying here's how I can improve or whatever it is. I'm a big fan of that. Plus, it's hands-on, mm-hmm. real-life experience, which they desperately need, like you said. Yep. That's great. I love that. Yeah. So I've got one last question for me. And that is, what is AI, ChatGPT, going to do to some of these things that you're already doing? That's such a broad, loaded question because I teach so many things that ChatGPT will touch or mid-journey or stable diffusion or what have you. There's so many different things in AI, which some of this is text-based, mid-journey, stable diffusion is is more imagery or Mm video-based artificial intelligence generation uh it it's going to change everything i that's the that's the low answer i am one who is a positive like technologist where i i want to see the new tools and use them with integrity to help me perform better mm. and that's what i talk with my students about uh have we had people who have written papers with ChatGPT and just copied and pasted it? I am sure that has happened uh, at Cedarville. That is the wrong way to use it. Uh, in my web class, uh, we were nearing the end of coding, which is always a painful part of the class for students because most of them are not coders. And I said, here, today I'm introducing you to ChatGPT. We went in there and I said, you know, a lot of you have been having a lot of struggles with this. So let's ask it to do something for me and see what happens. And so I said, make me a horizontal navigation menu with four items and two drop-down lists using HTML and CSS. And boop, 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 beep, boop, you know, it did it. Sorry, man, that was really terrible vocal acting right there. I gotta, I'll take that out. Okay, thanks. Uh, and it did it. But not only that, at least with ChatGPT, it gave me the code and then it talked about why it did that. And I said, now look, in the real world, if this gives me a starting point, that's fine. And I'm like, for your, for your midpoint project, if you want to use ChatGPT to, give, to lay some of the groundwork, we're going to paste this in and it is not the final. It's not everything you need. You still got to go and you got to fix it. And to fix it, sometimes you need to know more than if you had just struggled through it yourself. Yeah. So I said, this is a good tool, but I can fix it way faster than you because I already know the principles. So it's important to know them. It's important to read that paragraph beneath the, the code that explained why it was making its decisions. And so I said, this is a great tool to get me started on idea generation or to toss a couple of things out there and see the different iterations that, that could be used. But we do need to look at that with a, an aura of integrity in what I'm working in. I don't want to just be someone who's a chat GPT prompter and not open about that with all the projects that I'm working on. I always say right now, my phrase, it's like early Wikipedia where you know, I can look at it and it might be right. It might be what I need. It might not. And so it gives me something to think about that I still have to check. And I told my students through the checking process, whether you meant to do it or not, you're still learning. 
So uh, I really think that it will change a lot. It's going to change the jobs. It's going to change the production cycle. But most of my production tool sets that's using uh, AI, it's been in there for a few years and people didn't really know it. And I don't talk about it a whole lot, but it's just becoming more mainstream. I think more people are being aware that the tools they're using are from machine learning or artificial intelligence, which are two Mm -hmm. different things. But uh, they've been in there for a while, but now they're just kind of out in the public and, and out there. Thank you, Jeff Simon. Associate Professor of Communication here at Cedarville University. Really, thank you for coming in. Yeah, my pleasure. I appreciate your insights, and it's really cool to hear how you're using technology in your classrooms and making it realistic for students. So you're doing good work. You're welcome. Okay, let's end this thing. I almost felt like Nose, we needed to end it with the, sigh. end it with the we love technology. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. But not as much. All right, as let me wrap this thing up. That'll do it for us on this episode of Transform Your Teaching. Join us next time as we continue to talk about innovative teaching practices. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Transform Your Teaching podcast. Please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For more information, you can email us at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu. Please consider subscribing to our blog, Focus, found at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog.